Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That is what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. Be it joy and laughter, sorrow and tears, awe and insight, or deepest devotion, as we visit and listen, we are all part of a spiritual voyage called Song of the Soul. We've got beauty and inspiration here today for Song of the Soul. Our guest is Lydia Violet, famous, perhaps to some people, for her magic fiddle, and perhaps to others for her Joanna Macy-inspired conveying of the work that reconnects, or perhaps to a select group for the way she weaves the two together in her workshops and as part of her music medicine program, and as part of her School of the Great Turning. Among the richnesses that infuse her music is her parents' origins and roots in Armenia and Iran, even as Lydia was raised in New Jersey. There are just a few excerpts we had to cut from this interview to fit in the 55-minute broadcast, but you can hear them on northernspiritradio.org. Excuse please, my voice due to a spring cold. Let's wing our way over to Berkeley, California for a visit with Lydia Violet. Lydia, I'm absolutely delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You came to my attention almost two and a half months ago. I think you've been traveling and getting a lot of things done then. I believe that the person who pointed me in your direction, Kaylee Powell's her name, she heard you as part of a worship group in Alaska. Oh, yeah. A workshop. Yeah. So there was a group there that she was participating with, I think, remotely from Wisconsin, where we are. And she said, you've got to get this woman. (laughs) And I contacted you. And so promptly, I think it was overnight or something, you returned to me the music and said, okay, I'm I'm a go. <laughs> and then we lost track of each other, both of us with various things going on in our lives. So I'm really, really so happy that I've been listening to your music repeatedly. Usually I listen to things through six times before I do it. And in your case, it's been at least 15 or 20 because I'm just, I adore your music. I adore getting the opportunity to get to know you. And I'm so happy to have you here. You probably know the songs better than I do at this point. <laughs> oh, right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you doing there in Alaska instead of being at home in Berkeley, California? It was kind of in this little window in the pandemic where it seemed like maybe things were becoming a little little bit safer to come in person with each other in smaller groups with precautions. And it was in September 2021 that I went. And it is organized very last minute because I typically do a lot of in-person group work, whether it's supporting community organizers or teaching in workshop retreat spaces or just different kinds of education and healing spaces. So I hadn't done that. It had been totally online, you know, for a year and a half at that point. And I kind of said to myself, like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I need to feel in touch with community, with I want to hear from people in person. And so I thought, well, 
I had this invitation to go to Alaska. There's a woman there, Aurora Bowers, and she's training with me in this group work facilitation style. And she's also a fiddler and she's my age. So we have all, we get along great. And I said, what if I came, but we did small scale community building. So it was one-on-one lunches with local folks who teach at the university or indigenous activists or climate coordinators, you know, the head of the Fairbanks Climate Action Committee came up and I said, maybe the name of the game right now is not 50-person gatherings, but three-person meals as a way of feeling in touch with each other. And what happened was I went to Alaska and we basically did that, but it culminated in a very small outdoor workshop with 10 folks. And then we ended up doing a show called a Music as Medicine Salon outside. About 30 people came in the rain, which is a testament to Alaskans, because I don't know that that would happen in Northern California where I live. It might happen, but I remember I was worried because it was raining and Aurora was like, "Mm, you don't need to worry. It's still good weather. It's great. (laughs) And 30 people came and we sang together and Aurora and I performed fiddle, folk, roots, music. We had a beautiful jam, old time jam after. And it was what I needed. It was a touchstone that I had missed so deeply being someone who feels that I want to live my life with my finger on the pulse of like the community heartbeat. Where in the world are people still caring about each other? Where in the world is pain transformed into healing because we're willing to be present with each other and believe each other and offer each other whatever we have that could help. And it was amazing. So that's what Alaska was. It was really helpful for me. It caught me in a time where I really needed it in the pandemic. And talk a little bit, if you would, Lydia, also about your ethnic heritage. You're a rich meeting point of the world that way, too. (laughs) So my parents immigrated to the States from Iran. My dad's side is Armenian, but they've been in Iran for a couple generations. And then my mom's side is Iranian. So I grew up in kind of a diasporic Iranian-American household. I say Iranian-American because I wouldn't say I had that much connection to my Armenian roots until much, much later. You know, my parents could talk in Farsi. And so, yeah, I grew up kind of in a household that pulled from European artistic influences, I guess, with like my dad always played classical music. There was Persian food, you know, I was going to school in New Jersey. So it was like a convergence of all these interesting cultural influences, which is what it is to be diasporic. So that's my background. And somehow I became obsessed with fiddle music. I, I don't know. It's just. <laughs> well, well, New Jersey isn't that far from Appalachia. So you, I don't know if that's any style of fiddle that you particularly are drawn to. But it's very clear to me that you're a beautiful fiddle player or violin player or whatever. I mean, classical definitely has beautiful violin. and Yes. But you call it a fiddle. You know, your website, LydiaFiddle.com. It's true. You must gravitate towards that side of it. I think, you know, I grew up playing classical and then in my 20s discovered I could improvise. So wanted to play on whatever I could. But I do think there's something as I get older, I have become more and more curious about folk music traditions. I don't know if it's a craving to be close to something that is like a music of the people 
you know, I do now, whenever I'm working on music, it's to become a better fiddle player. I love old time fiddle music or Irish fiddle music, but you know, I'm playing with a hip hop group tomorrow and I'm going to play whatever fusion style it is that I play that lends itself to that music. So I can be versatile, but if you were to ask me, Hey, we're going to a jam today. What style do you want it to be in? I would say, I want it to be old time, old time Appalachian. That, that sounds good to me. And I love old time because it's fun, first of all. And I love that the songs are mostly older, but I also love that usually during an old time jam, you have musicians of multiple experience levels and it's all good. Like it works. And I just, I love that because it's not about someone might break out and show off a little, but they always come home. It's not an enduring competition. Like I've kind of experienced some other genres of jams to be not definitely not all of them, but like bluegrass a little bit. And I don't know, just that they, how fast, how hard can you go? And I feel like with old time, it's more like, what story can we all tell together? You know what I'm getting from that? And tell me if this at all echoes for you. It sounds to me like it's about community for you. And it's about stone soup. Yeah. As opposed to having a perfect French pastry, it is about having a potluck that's rich in the riches of the world. Sure. And don't get me wrong, like I honor skill level. Like I want to honor people that dedicate themselves to learning how to play something really well. And I just want there to be room for the folks who also just want to learn or want to start or just want to, you know, yeah, I, I do. I, I do want that. Yeah. So please get us started with your music. I know people are impatient. I've already told them I love your music. So what should we start with? Well, I think starting with the first song on the album, Walk Out, Walk On, is a good starting place. So I wrote that song. It was the week Trump was first on television and had announced that he was running for the presidency. So if you can remember however long ago that was. I had this reaction of basically going down for the count for three days. I was just like, wait, now this, after all the work we've done, after all the ways we've tried to push for an inclusive political social landscape, how did he get a microphone? And I was so disheartened. I woke up on the third day of this and we had had a very awful drought that year, a very strong drought in California. And I woke up on the third day and it was raining. And there was something about the combination of how it felt for it to rain and the relationship of that to the hopelessness that I had felt with seeing him running, Trump running that I woke up and I went to my loop pedal at the time and I just started singing this song and it, it kind of wrote itself and it got me up and going again. And the song is Walk Out, Walk On by Lydia Violet here today for Song of the Soul.
so fortunate you tuned in today for Song of the Soul Folks. That's Lydia Violet, her song Walk Out, Walk On, her website LydiaFiddle.com. Of course, the link's on NordenSpiritRadio.org. I have a sense of that song. It's not exactly healing, but it's rooted perseverance. That's how I think I would say it. How would you say what you felt? I mean, you came out of your three-day depression, shut down. What did that song mean to you? Perseverance was definitely part of it. And then also being open to the unexpected, as in we're in this terrible drought and then I wake up and it's raining. The waters came back. Maybe the waters could come back on this too with Trump running. I I didn't know, you know, I, I said to myself, Joanna Macy, who I study with, she says, emergent properties are my words for hope that unexpected thing that may come that we can't necessarily predict, you know? And one example she gives is when hydrogen gas and oxygen gas come together, could it be predicted that wetness would be the result? That water would be the result of those two things? Maybe, but that there's these kind of unexpected synergistic, there's these unexpected elements that are born from synergy that in a way we kind of don't know what could come in and help with a moment. So it reminded me like maybe the waters can come back with this one too. So walk out, walk on. I'm kind of surprised you had that reaction as early as you did in Trump's candidacy because I never felt drawn to him at all. And a matter of fact, his bombast and his presentation very much is the opposite of what I hold dear in life. But I didn't necessarily think he was going to be horrible. I thought there was still some possibility. What were you reacting to? Well, I didn't have any facades that he had already captured the American imagination. He was already a person of some fandom. You know, he already had in a way had a bunch of followers. And I think I saw the way he was able to unify fear, anger, and charisma. And I saw that as a dangerous combination from the beginning. I didn't necessarily think he was going to win the presidency. I was just as shocked as a lot of folks were. Not everyone, but a lot of folks who didn't think it was going to go that way. You know, I think a lot of us woke up on November 5th, I think it was, in a state of shock. But I did recognize his cruelty and his crassness right away and the way he was able to make those things charismatic. And I saw that as a very dangerous combination as a leader. So I've been getting to know you mainly as a musician by listening to your music. 
but I sense that there's at least an equal part of you, which is the organizer, which is the person who's working on the healing of the earth and of the broader community of life on this planet. How do those mixes sit within you? Where do they come from? I, I think it's beautiful. I feel it in Walk Out, Walk On. But how did that get in you? Berkeley is not a nature preserve, right? It's true. Well, I think I've always been interested in... When I was a kid, it probably just felt like being helpful. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, I would like to be helpful. I'd like to just do that. And so I think when I went to grad school for philosophy and religion, the first week is where I met this woman, Joanna Macy, who ended up having a big impact on me and that I, I now carry on, you know, I'm part of a community that carries on her work. She's turning 93 in a month. She gave her introduction to a class called The Great Turning. And she said something about our pain for the world. And there was a impact that that phrase had on me, where I felt that this sentiment that I had within me that had been misnamed my whole life finally was named properly. And that my pain for the world is not a weakness. It's not an oversensitivity. It's not some kind of lofty pity or something but that it is on behalf of me being interconnected with life and caring about something beyond myself. And that potentially when you have so much going awry, our pain for the world could simply be integrity trying to come back in. It's just a, you know, an alarm system that says, yeah, that's not a, a great way to support life going on on the planet. And I was so caught by that. And I had felt that within myself and the people around me that I wanted to work to help with that. And here was this woman who had developed this whole body of work supporting that and more at first to help with that in the activist community, but pretty much seeing pretty soon that that was a sentiment a lot of people carried that was taboo to talk about and could lead to things like depression and anxiety and hopelessness and all these things. So I got interested from there and she's an act, you know, she was an anti-nuclear activist is, I shouldn't say was, and cares a lot about the survival of complex life on the planet. And the rest has kind of been history with that. So, you know, I offer these workshops and kind of group gatherings, integrating her work. And then I started bringing music into it a few years ago and community singing and concerts that tried to integrate some of Joanna's teachings and music that's rooted in traditions of community resilience. And that's kind of what became my music as medicine program. So it's both. It's both definitely I'm a musician and, you know, I'm also an educator or a community organizer with different projects. And, you know, I guess still like the three-year-old in me, I just want to be helpful. And it's beautiful when you are, and your music really does help. Let's have another example of the music of Lydia Violet. The next song actually is good because it's called Keep Her Safe, and Joanna reads a poem in the beginning of it. I mean, Keep Her Safe is really, it's about what is in the title. It's about keeping, you know, a gender-expanded definition, but of women safe physically, sexually, internally, externally. That's what it's about. So we've got the lead-in. This is a poem again, Joanna Macy sharing it. Your mentor and the song Keep Her Safe by Lydia Violet. She who reconciles the ill-matched threads of her life 
and weaves them gratefully into a single cloth. It's she who drives the loudmouths from the hall and clears it for a different celebration where the one guest is you.
Lydia Violet is here today with us for Song of the Soul. Her song, Keep Her Safe, which starts with that intro by Joanna Macy, is so evocative for me, and I assume for you listeners as well. I'm still not sure, though, the introductory poem that Joanna shared, I'm not sure I understand it. That doesn't mean it didn't move me. It moved me, but... Mm -hmm. And there's some of it, like ill-matched threads being woven together and other images that do something for my soul, but my mind doesn't really quite know what to do with them. I think you must be accessing a part of the human psyche and experience that they can't teach at the university. (laughs) I mean, poetry seems to speak to us in multiple dimensions. You know, I teach this class called Singing the Bones, where I support students in researching myths, folktales, and music traditions from one of their ancestries. And in that class, I talk about the nature of mythic truth and literal truth that you can maybe glean from myth and stories, and I would say poetry too. And so there's literal things you might learn about the landscape of your ancestors from these stories, the trees that are mentioned, the rivers that are mentioned, the plants, the fauna, the animals, the holidays, different traditions. And there might be mythic truths that we also can hear in these stories. It's interesting that your the name of your program is Song of the Soul. James Hillman says that soul is that which mediates events and turns them into experiences. There is a reflective moment within us and going into that is soul making. And so what if mythic truth is not literally true, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily false or poetic truth. It may experientially be true in some way. It might be a middle ground of resonance. And so when Rilke, Rilke Reinemarie wrote that poem, and he says, she who reconciles the ill-matched threads of her life. Well, internally, what does that mean? To reconcile the ill-matched threads of your life, the things that you go, there's tension here. How the heck do I make these things go together? She who reconciles the ill-matched threads of her life and weaves them gratefully into a single cloth. Not only is she reconciling ill-matched threads, she's doing it gratefully with gratitude for being, maybe for being here, for being alive. For me, that is experientially resonant. I'm not literally weaving ill-matched threads, but I am in an experiential or in a soul way, I feel. It's a beautiful soul I see doing the weaving of the world that I see through you, Lydia. Did you finish your degree in philosophy and religion? Did you add another one? Or It's so clear to me that the activism, the rooted changing of the world is important. Oftentimes, philosophy and religion removes you. You sit on the outside going, hmm, that's profound. And you seem very engaged. So did you go on to other degrees or was there an emphasis within there that prepared you for this kind of work? That's a high compliment. You know, this particular program, so is at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And it was in the philosophy and religion department. The degree is philosophy, cosmology and consciousness in my experience, had an imminent emphasis on the philosophical exploration So there was an awareness that generally the field of philosophy seems to have gone into this abstract realm. And so there was 
you know, a focus on studying things like phenomenology, which is more imminent or more like you're like just relevant, just right here, right now. How does this apply? And that's what I was interested in. So I think it was a program that helped me because I, I already had the question, well, how does this help? How does this unfold wisdom or in, in some kind of a living way? It's not just some abstract judgment or theory on the way reality works, but we can actually see it from the inside. So that was and is still valuable to me. As you speak, I'm so drawn not only to your music, but to your mind and to your soul. I definitely want to be in your workshops. I think we better mention the school for the great turning.com. Tell me yeah. about that. I started a school. And I started the school because so much of what I'd learned in grad school and from Joanna, I wanted it to be accessible and to have a venue for helping to continue Joanna Macy's work. So it's an online and in-person school. So we have an online dimension to it, which obviously was like, we really focused on as soon as the pandemic hit and we offer lots of beautiful online programs with Joanna, with, you know, Singing the Bones is the course that I teach in Ancestry and Myth and Song. And I teach that with an artist, Leah Song of Rising Appalachia. And we've had Adrienne Marie Brown guest on our programs. I you know, obviously put a lot into trying to make the content really supportive and helpful and interesting. So it's kind of its own little engaged philosophy school, you know, school for the great turning and hopefully empowers the revolution in some kind of way and catches people, you know, who could use catching, which I think is probably all of us right now. And then the in-person workshops, we've just started exploring scheduling again and you know, they kind of move around. So in person, it's like a moving school. It's wherever we end up popping up and doing programs or music as medicine salons, or, you know, if I get hired by a festival, I'll offer some programming and that's school for the great turning. So you're saying that because it's mobile, it's not inconceivable to have a session of that school here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, or down in San Antonio, Texas, where there's two stations that carry our Spirit in Action program and Song of the Soul program. It's, you you go everywhere with this? Yeah, I've, I'm so lucky to have been, you know, to Scotland with it and Costa Rica and Alaska and St. Louis and New York. And yeah, I mean, I go where there's invitation and excitement. In Quaker speak, we talk about following your leading or as way opens is a really common phrase. And it sounds mm. to me like you're very spiritually attuned to that thread, that flow. Mm. So, uh, folks, schoolforthegreatturning.com is a link to the school that Lydia Violet started. It's on northernspiritradio.org, along with all the other links. I have links to lydiafiddle.com and to all of the people for the last 16 and a half years I've had on the program for both Spirit and Action Song of the Souls. So come to northernspiritradio.org, leave a comment when you come, consider donating under support, and remember to support your local community radio stations. Local media is so vital. And it does not get the exposure and the support that it deserves. So please put your hand in your wallet to supporting your local community radio station, like 42 stations or so across the country that carry our programs, but so many other wonderful, wonderful programs. So we have Lydia Violet here. We need some more of your music to enrich us. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to step up the pace a little bit, Lydia, just because I could sit and talk to you all day. and I can, <laughs> My day would only be richer for that. So what should we share next? 
So this one, Singing Over the Bones, is kind of like, it was an exploration for me because I had pretty much recorded folk music. And with this one, I call it Fiddletronica. I had composed this song that had an electronic element. is kind of fun for dancing. But Singing Over the Bones, you know, is about being in the diaspora, being, you know, an American and wanting to reconnect with my Iranian and Armenian roots and learn about the culture, the foods, the dance, the song, and make sure I didn't contribute to cultural severance in that way, but that I could contribute to a remembrance and an integration of culture. So the song is pretty much about that. A-N-A-H-I-T. What does that word mean? Or is that a name? Oh, Anahit is a goddess. It's a goddess. A it's goddess not one I've heard of before. I know. Right. Well, see, even like mythology, there's a colonization of mythology, like the ones that have become super popular or like spiritual capitalism has contributed to certain gods and goddesses becoming super popular. So that's what's cool about Singing the Bones. The course I teach is you get 60 people and you hear about all these different myths and gods and goddesses and, you know, figures and stuff. So anyway, yes, it's cool. Anahi is an Armenian goddess. And so is Vahan. And then Ararat, Mount Ararat, you know. Which I know of, yeah, of course. Yeah, Anahit's a goddess, Armenian goddess, of children, of childbirth, and of fresh waters. And again, the artist is Lydia Violet. The song is Singing Over the Bones. Get ready for a wonderful exploration of a wider world. Riding wisdom into their 
song, a title track from Singing Over the Bones. Of course, it's by Lydia Violet here with us today for Song of the Soul. Who's EO? EO is the producer I worked with. That's not a name I recognize. (laughs) (laughs) That's his artist name, and he's here in the Bay Area, but he's worked on a lot of really good music with folks like Alenario, and he has a very, very sophisticated, high-quality ear and skill in music production. I thought maybe it was a contraction for E-I-E-I-O. So. <laughs> don't don't tell them that, okay, please. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're going to turn right around and go to another song. Just continue with more of the riches of Lydia Violet's Song of the Soul. Next is... Gol Leili, which is another way of connecting to my ancestry. It's a traditional Iranian lullaby. And so this is kind of another pathway in this is some mother singing to her child and it feels important to say there was a threshold of shame that i had to pass through to start learning iranian music i think that can stop a lot of folks from learning music or about think language from their ancestry because we can be ashamed or have grief or that we don't know certain things but four years ago i started learning Iranian music. So here's my stumbling through offering of me learning how to carry some of the music from my ancestry that I I didn't grow up with it or anything. I've learned it in adulthood. Golayli is the song being performed. It's a traditional in Farsi lullaby being performed here today by Lydia Violet.
glad that Lydia Violet brought some of the traditional lullaby music, brought it here today for Song of the Soul. Golele, I had to look up the translation since I do not speak Farsi. By the way, when I was went into the Peace Corps back in 1977, I was busy learning French because I was going to Togo, West Africa. But there were people, part of the same big group of Peace Corps trainees who were going to Iran. Wow. So they were studying Farsi. So I was right alongside them. We're studying French and they were studying Farsi. And of course, I was intrigued, but never went that way. This song, I found the translation as, Your lips smile pomegranate seed by seed. Bring on the scale beam. Your lips are of a different breed. The grace of a lotus, a dove's feather, thinner than the petal of a flower, the hope of a mother, the flower that is Lely, the being that is Lely, the flower that is Lely, the being that is Lely. I assume Lely is a girl's name, boy's name. Yeah, it's both, I think, but it's an archetype in Persian culture, too, because there's a whole story. Like, she's like the Juliet, I think, if I remember correctly, of Iran. So Lely is more than just an individual. She's a whole archetype of beauty and longing, too, and all those good things. Let's do one more song, Lydia. How shall we conclude your song of the soul? 
I think we started with the first song on my album and we're ending with the last song. This is a tender song. It's called Lullaby. It is a lullaby. I wrote it after my mother passed away. I wrote it to soothe that part in myself and maybe in others that get so troubled by death and dying of our close ones. And so the lyrics are, don't pay no mind if you're feeling weary, we're just on our way back home. Don't pay no mind if the road gets scary, we're all on our way back home. It was kind of my way of making peace with death was this song and trying to offer it in some kind of a soothing, liberatory way. So yeah, that's what this song is. And it's on the album already free. How long ago did your mother pass on that road? Eight and a half years ago. Well, thank you for bringing her blessings here today. The blessings of Joanna Macy. And folks, remember, LydiaFiddle.com is perhaps her main site. There's SchoolForTheGreatTurning.com, all on NordenSpiritRadio.org. She's got four albums out there that I count. That's the discography. But that's only one small part of the gifts that Lydia Violet brings to the world. Thank you so much, Lydia. Thank you. I appreciate the depth of this interview and feeling like I can really share from all of me. So I appreciate your good interview. That was was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are an inspirational spirit, and I really so much appreciate it. Whether it's on the fiddle, whether it's on the claw hammer banjo, Mm -hmm. or the other instruments that you play, and certainly through your magical voice and spirit. You raise us up. Thanks so much. Thank you. And here is Lullaby. It's by Lydia Violet from the album Already Free. Please go deep with this song that moves me so deeply. And join us again next week for Song of the Soul. Lullaby.
The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it is called Song of the Soul. Check out all things Song of the Soul on northernspiritradio.org, guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Send your Songs of the Soul to me, Mark Helps Meet, via the info on our website, and join us weekly for Song of the Soul.